0: Re-enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my email in question. My girl- girlfriend is really having trouble with my desire to look at porn. Come on, Carol. You know that every man looks at porn. How can I convince her to stop being so insecure? Because the truth of the matter is, I don't think about women in that way. I am just using that visual to get off. What do you think? Well, I would say to you, the truth of the matter is that if you're in a relationship with somebody and she is not interested in looking at porn, and she doesn't want you to look at porn, um, you've got to have some hard conversations. I, I know nothing about your background as a couple. You know, I don't know if pretty healthy relationship and all other aspects. I don't know if she used to look at porn with you and felt uncomfortable and stopped. So many of the clients that I talk to, that's part of the thing, they... They actually feel like um, they want to please their partner, so they try something, and then, bam, it just doesn't work for them, and they stop. Does that make sense? So the truth of the matter is that you've got to have some hard conversations with her so that you can figure out what needs to happen. And I hope that you can have that hard conversation because I know that a lot of men really don't think there is a problem. And I'm not here to tell you that there is or isn't. I know if you're a sex addict, there's probably a problem. But you haven't said that you're a sex addict. Although I would wonder why you're listening to the show if you're not. You know what I mean? Um, I, I don't think you just found me accidentally. So that's what I believe, to have that hard com- conversation, find out why she's uncomfortable about it, maybe even do some compromising and negotiating, right? And uh, what I know to be true. And, I'm, you know, I've been told to be porn neutral. And if truth be known, I think it is objectification and I don't think it is healthy. But there are plenty of couples that can participate in things that I wouldn't recommend and they're okay with it. And I'm okay with them being okay. You know what I mean? You all don't have to agree on everything. Now, today we've got a fascinating show. It is a a woman who experience deception, uh, experience the trauma around that, got healthy, giving back. And she's a firecracker, I can tell you right now. Um, she, there's no um, holding her back from saying exactly what's on her mind. So I'm grateful for her honesty and authenticity, and I hope you'll enjoy that too. So now I'm going to ask you, if you're a sex addict, What are you most worried about? What do you want to fine-tune in your own program? I mean, I realize that that is a question that maybe you go over with your, your sponsor. I sure hope you have a sponsor. I work with a lot of men that don't. And then, you know, they very clearly... Um, go to the meetings, enjoy them, enjoy the fellowship, come back home, and do nothing in addition to making that happen. You know they don't do the twelve step work. I can't imagine going to twelve step meetings and not doing the work. And their sponsors don't encourage them to do that. Or if they do, the guys I talk to don't tell me they do, and I out-and-out directly ask. um, So what would you want to fine-tune in in your life, you know, in your recovery, in your three circles, in your 12 steps? You all know that I pick a word for the year, and if you've been listening to the show, you know it's kind. I mean, that is something that I want to work on. I want to be kinder when irritated because I can cut to the chase. And that's, that's never a communication builder, right? Uh, if you had to pick a word for your recovery, what would it be? If you're a partner and you had to pick a word that exemplified what you would like to see some improvement in, what would it be? You know, there's, I do not like asking partners about their quote-unquote recovery, I hate them having to be put in the same box as somebody who's made a choice to act out. In other words, they're kind of the innocent bystander, the collateral um, damage that's occurred, and they may have to do some work to feel better, but I don't particularly like it being called recovery. Um, I've been in this business enough to have some strong opinions about things that wouldn't bother anybody else. And what I really like is picking a word that enhances your life. And so, again, if you were thinking about your recovery and you're an addict, whether you're in new recovery, good recovery, whether you're a veteran, what word would help to remind you to stay true to your goals? I mean, I, it makes you think, and that's actually what I'm here to do. I'm here to make you think and assist you in fine-tuning your life, right? Yeah. And I love doing that because it makes me feel like I've made a difference. And, you know, that is the key to everything that we do. It is to help people to make a difference. Now, the truth of the matter is, what are you doing to make a difference? It doesn't matter if you're not 100% Um, oh, steadfast in your recovery. I work with a lot of men that slip and slide a little bit. But you can always still give back. Why? Because there's not enough people in this world in the recovery program that knows how to give back. They don't even feel worthy of giving back, and that's never good. I want you to feel worthy no matter who you are or what you're doing, right? I want you to make a difference in your own recovery and in the lives of others, no matter what. So, that you're proud of that has to do with who you are and your recovery? Well, I'd like to know that. If you could email me at carol, carolthecoach.com. I would love to know what it is that you feel good about, right? And why is that? Because it's a self-esteem booster, and that's what life's all about, and certainly that's what recovery is all about is taking the dark side, turning it inside out, working on yourself, and coming out on the top. That is what I always appreciate when I'm talking to somebody who's in recovery. And that's why you're going to appreciate today's guest, Heather Pinchella. I think it's really Pinchelli. She goes by Heather, and she's a mental health therapist and coach, And she's a fellow member of that group that nobody wants to join. She's been in the trenches of experiencing sex addiction um, because of her husband. And she's worked really diligently on healing from that infidelity. She's real raw and ridiculously transparent. So I just feel so lucky to be um, welcoming Heather to sex help with Carol the coach. Welcome, Heather, to the show. Hi there. Thank you. Yeah, boy, your story is so incredible. And I was really pleased that you were willing to talk with our listening audience. You know, we got addicts and we've got in recovery and we've got partners we have had to deal with addicts. We have clinicians and coaches that listen to the show. So I felt like your story could help any of the above um, feel a little hope and figure out maybe an opportunity to use reframing, and that is, of course, when you grow stronger from what you didn't want, what you didn't ask for, and you actually – have something that you've learned so that you can give back. So can you tell everybody what you believe about how one can thrive after infidelity? Yeah. So, you know, obviously nobody wants
1: to join this club. And yet if you allow it, it can really, I truly firmly believe this and have embodied this, that it can really open the doors for beautiful healing and recovery and movement going forward and really allow you to create that life that you desire versus what so many of us have done, which is just fall into the pattern of, you know, kind of status quo and autopilot. And
0: so tell our listening audience what happened to you and how um, that transpired.
1: Yeah, so um, ultimately the the final blow up, if you will, was that about six years ago, my then spouse, we had been married for I think eight years, Um, he had moved myself and our three children, kind of uprooted us from a place we loved and my career that I had worked really hard to get to and, and this job I had just gotten it, um, months before and had worked for eight years to get this position. And so our life was for all intents and purposes, good. And, um, he just kind of sprung on us that we had to move from Wisconsin to Oklahoma and it was for a job. And, you know, being that wife that I was, I was like, okay, we're going to sell the house and move. Okay. We have to do this. And, um, we had a high schooler at the time, so that was really traumatic for them to move in high school. And it was not long after getting to Oklahoma that I uncovered not one but two affairs. And I went from immediately, I did, you know, I went from being a therapist who worked with those in affair situations to on a very personal level feeling instead of having the book knowledge it was a very personal feeling of that earth shattering and identity shattering moment and honestly i i the initial process for me was not pretty it was it was dark and it was scary and i went to unrecognizable places i did things that were totally unhealthy and at one point you know nearly lost my life i for the first time ever experience what it was like to to think that you know suicide was a better option than going through this pain. And it was those moments that allowed me to to make the choice to go through the pain instead of
0: around the pain. Well I really admire that because you did make the choice. You said to yourself, you know, what am I gonna do to deal with this situation and grow stronger from it. And that's truly what reframing is all about. Now, what do you think had the most massive impact on your healing journey? Um, the big global picture, the high-level answer really is
1: reclaiming me and owning my power. And I know that that can sound, you know, oftentimes a little woo y and, and, you know, um, dreamy, but it really had so much healing power. Um, There's a lot that I went, there's a lot that went into that process, but it started honestly with a willingness to go through that process and go through the pain to be willing to go through it and not around it. And for me, I'm a, an extremely intellectual person. Um, I love, I love academics and I love research and I love, thinking my way out of things, right? Um, like, give me a checklist, right. I'll handle it. And, and so at first, I tried to work through this like a freaking math problem and like a, a brainiac checklist type way, right? And, and then having the therapy background was a little bit of a hindrance as well, because then I tried to do the whole therapy thing on myself. and, Finally, I just, I, you know, I realized and I accepted and fully embodied that I had to allow myself to feel through this, that in order to heal and thrive and not just skip past it, I had to be willing to touch the pain. And, oh, man, it was painful to do that. It was scary and it was hard being willing to touch that pain and not just, you know, metaphorically sweep it under the rug, that was
0: massive. Well, I bet. And, you know, you had written in your intro that obviously you had a therapist who charged a lot of money who really couldn't help you with this situation. So when did you figure that out?
1: Yeah, so, you know, as a therapist, um, that that helped me in some ways, but it, like I said, it was a hindrance in other ways. And, you know, so my initial gut reaction was as I'm standing there, can't breathe. And, you know, I'm throwing pictures. I told you that not all of my story is pretty as I'm throwing all of our wedding pictures around the house and shattering them into a million pieces. I'm also like, we need a therapist right now. <laughs> and so I called a therapy office who only handled infidelity. That's all they did. And they charged $350 an hour. And listen, I just want to be really super transparent here that we had no money in savings. So like we didn't have $350 an hour for once a week therapy. I had to prioritize that and make it work. And, um, and I thought, oh, these guys, they only, do ther- they only do infidelity. I must go here. And there's a few pivotal pieces of that particular therapist. Um, the first is that going into a therapist's office and the initial reaction being, okay, he, and I'm not, a, I'm not a better or a gambler, so I'm probably going to get this wrong, but there was some kind of analogy he used that said something like, you know, don't, don't sell low, buy high, sell low, something like that. But basically the, the thing he was saying was, don't throw in the towel now when you're at a low, When, you know, this could be a high. And and I remember sitting there in that moment going, you've not talked to us. You don't know what our relationship prior to this was. Because if I was honest with myself, it wasn't great. And there was a lot of red flags. And, and like, to have someone sit there and say, let's work on communication. And I'm like, hold up a effing second. He's got something going on. No person who loves themselves and loves their life. And like, nobody would intentionally set out to do this. There's got to be something underlying this. And you want to work on communication skills with me. Like there's a problem. <laughs> and, so, and then he would do this thing where you would say something and I'm sobbing and I'm crying and I can barely function. And he would just keep nodding his head and going, this sounds so painful. And I'm like, well, that's obvious. Like, That's what you got for me at $350 an hour. And the final piece of that particular therapist was that um, I had gone into the office with my at the time husband. And I said, I just feel like I want to go screw like all these guys. Like, I just want to get, you know, I want to feel wanted And his response to me to saying like, I'm going to get on a personal ad and like find, you know, find this validation his response was, well, that'll just make things worse. And I just thought, okay, I'm not in good hands. I got to go somewhere else.
0: Well, absolutely. And obviously that person didn't know the pain you were going through and wasn't able oh, yeah. to validate knowledge or empathize with it at all. And, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to the show that don't feel like they're a good fit with their therapist. And so You know, it took you a little bit of time, but you eventually gave him the boot. What we have to do when we're not getting our needs met with a therapist, we have to talk about it with him or her and then pay attention to what we do need. Because what did you need right then? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, to start with I needed a therapist who would give me a safe open container and hold space for me to be brutally honest and to not sugarcoat it, right? I, I didn't need to work on my marriage right then. I needed to I needed to catch me. I needed to work on me and not have an agenda, right? Because this is a process that there is no black and white agenda to. This is not step one through step ten it's individualized. And I needed someone that was going to honor that and allow that space for me, even if that space for a period of time was to come in and be really angry or hurt or sad and not tell me that we have to just, you know, let's go. We've got to now work on communication. We have to work on connection. And, you know, you touched on a piece about therapists that if it's not a good fit, go, don't be afraid to switch therapists. Like you've got to feel safe and that you it's a safe person and that you can go in and be honest and transparent and have someone who's actually helping and not just sort of sitting there staring at you or giving you these things that aren't addressing the underlying concerns, the underlying trauma.
0: Yeah, and so obviously being a mental health therapist yourself, but being in betrayal trauma and really um, trying to figure out what it was that you needed, you decided that you needed somebody who could be supportive and that could understand your pain and that could even give you some guidelines as to where you could go next for support, resources, and help, and that's You know, that's what we at APSATS do. And and I know you're a member of APSATS. I'm a member of APSATS. I want to ask you, how are you different now than you were before the betrayal and then during the betrayal?
1: Yeah. Um, You know, if I give this story, I tell this now with people um, in my circle professionally that, my very first date with my now ex husband, we were sitting at Denny's because that's a really classy first date. <laughs> and so we went to Denny's and I asked him a question about a former relationship that I knew he had and and he got up and left me at the table and did not come back and and like our dinner was not served yet and so I got the dinner. I paid and the next day he called and apologized and said he was just in a really bad mood and, like, you know, it was an odd question and it took him by surprise. And I share that story because when I look back now compared to then, I can see very clearly my response to him was almost like a sponge needing water, like, oh, my God, okay. I Oh, you, you don't have a job? I can save you, right? I, I was very much so in this vulnerable insecure place with lots of unhealed trauma that I didn't even realize existed. And I was going through the motions of that status quo, you know, the get married and have kids and the white picket fence. And now that I've worked through trauma and I am, you know, I intentionally create my life every day versus being on autopilot and I've learned concepts of ownership and worthiness and authenticity and boundaries that if someone came into my life today and that first date went the same way, I'm in a place I don't even need your apology. I'm not even entertaining your apology. That told me enough to know that we're not in the same lane and I'm not getting in any other lane. So it's really, you know, when I look at who I was then, I can have a lot of ownership as to how this relationship even got to the point that it did.
0: Okay. And, and, you know, it's interesting, you use the word ownership and ownership is, is an important word. I call it accountability. You know, asking yourself, how can you be a part of, if you will, um, the solution or how can you contribute to things? And, You know, you obviously have had quite the experience. I mean, he moved you away, 1,500 miles away. When you got there, um, you found out that you were there for a reason. Remind our listening audience, why did you move so far away? Why did he need that?
1: Yeah, so at the time I was told we, we were moving for a job, a job that, you know, he, he couldn't turn down and he needed it. And without it, we were going to have no job basically. And so six weeks after getting there, I learned the real story, which was that it was not a job. I mean, he did indeed get a job there, but he sought the job out because he had two mistress partners Um, there that had been ongoing. It was a virtual telephonic affair for years, apparently, and then became physical upon moving, basically. So, So that was the reason and the catalyst for him searching for a job where we ended up going.
0: Okay. So many, many, many layers of betrayal. It's bad enough when you find out that somebody has, had affairs or is an act of affairs but then to find out that you uprooted your entire family for the affair partners i mean it just is so horrific of course you were crying in that therapist's office i always say a lot of my partners when they first come to see me they're in the fetal position on the floor well they're not yes. really but they are that shaken up and they're they're that despondent they don't know what to think or do the very person who they are to trust the most has betrayed them on so many levels. Now, I know that you've said that you're grateful for the affairs, which is something I do not hear many partners say. So explain that to our listening audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I get some sideways looks when I say that sometimes. Um, You know, I am grateful. I Trust me, I wish that it wouldn't have taken this level of pain and shock to my system to get my attention. But it was the catalyst to my awakening and changing my life and the person I am today. Um, you know, prior to the final rupture, if you will, there were, looking back in the moment, I didn't ever see them as red flags or. You know, concerns, but after all of this happened, and I would look back and reflect on the course of my relationship and my marriage, it was clear that there was all sorts of warning signs and all sorts of things that for a relationship breed insecurity versus a sense of security and safety. And I just was so deep in with the the you know goggles on like i my head was buried so deep in the sand. I never even looked at it twice. And so unfortunately it did take this level of just sheer pain and shock to get my attention, but it allowed me the opportunity to really use it to say, okay, I am not willing to continue living the way I have been. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get to the other side of this in a really healthy way.
0: And so when you said that to yourself, what did you imagine that you were willing to do whatever it took to get there? That's a great question. Um,
1: At the time, I had no idea, honestly. I just, every day, I would say to myself, you know, sort of this, repetitive mantra and paragraph of, I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how I'm getting there. I just know I'm not staying here. And I had to trust and believe in myself. And at the time I really had no trust or belief in myself, but I had to start giving myself a little bit of that to just know that I didn't know ultimately what this outcome was going to be or how I was going to get there, but I was going to keep moving until I figured it out. And each day that would click by, I would feel more and more empowered, and I would, I would start to notice that I was believing in myself and trusting myself and honoring my needs. So, you know, in the process of this, I would honor, I think that I need to do this, and then I would do that, so long as it was not sabotaging, right? So I'm talking in a healthy way here, things of, like, I wanted to piece some puzzles together. Remember, I'm intellectual brain. And that piece mm-hmm. definitely showed up. And so, you know, for an example, one of the things I did was I called his ex-wife out of the blue. Uh, no ego checked my ego, and I, I just said, "Hey, I'm beginning to, to realize I don't think I know who I'm married to. Can I talk to you about your ex-husband?" <laughs> and so, and so then, you know, I started educating myself to really allow myself to see the truth versus continue to believe what I really desperately wanted to believe, which was. Everything was going to be fine. He was fine. This was an accident. It was a mistake. It was a one-time thing. I had to know what I was dealing with so that I could go through this process.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense, too. And, and you know, you were just a person that exudes having learned from your experience. And, and that is, that makes you a survivor and a thriver. And um, I know that thriving is absolutely what you believe can happen when you've been through such trauma, such suffering, and you've you've made it your own, transformed yourself, and now you are a stronger person as a result. Uh, Can you tell people what you're doing today professionally that may or may not uh, highlight what you've been through?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I work with people who are sort of in the same spot. It doesn't necessarily have to be you're in that because of infidelity, but you're in this place of going, I'm not like, something's not completely in alignment with me. Like, I'm just, I feel like I'm not happy. I feel like there has to be more. um, Where you just are realizing that you've sort of on autopilot, right? So often our lives are, this autopilot of, oh, I'm getting married and we don't sit down and talk about what actually does that look like? What are the values behind that? What do you, what, what lights you up? What brings you joy and fire, right? Um, And so my, my belief is that you can turn pain into power and that if you allow it, your greatest, your darkest days can serve as your greatest gifts. And So I work a lot with releasing the stuff that doesn't serve us and reclaiming the life that we
0: so deeply desire. Hmm. And if somebody wanted to work with you, what state are you in?
1: So I live in Spokane, just outside of Idaho, on the Idaho-Washington line, but I do Mm -hmm. a lot of virtual work. So I've got a Facebook group and um, a website, but we do a lot of virtual work. We do workshops and groups together. Okay. And,
0: and so being that you're a therapist and a coach, you probably could coach people across state lines, right? Yes, definitely. So how can they get a hold of you if they want to hear more about you um, and, and work with you?
1: Yeah, so they can find me on Facebook groups under Release and Reclaim or on my website, which is mylovecounselor.com.
0: Okay, so your website is www.mylovecounselor.com. Yes. And, you know, because you've got such good energy and you obviously have made it your own. Um, how are things with your husband or should I say your (laughs) ex-husband? Yes.
1: Yeah. So um, ultimately I did decide to leave my marriage. I want to heavily emphasize though for all of those out there in that stage still of, you know, not sure where it's going to go, that I wholeheartedly totally believe that you can work through this. And that you can create beautiful new beginnings Um, for my situation. As I dove deeper into the work on myself, I started again, remember I was collecting truths and facts and like beginning to own things. And I started realizing that my ex-husband now ex-husband was not doing his healing and working on his inner self. And I had to learn to accept the reality of the here and now and not the fantasy of what it could be. And when I accepted the reality of the here and now, that here and now was that he was not someone that was doing the work and rolling his sleeves up and digging in. And therefore I made the choice to leave my marriage. However, we, because of all of the work, we have an amazing co-parenting relationship. I mean, when I'm talking like, There were no attorneys involved in our divorce. There was no, we are friends. Like, he has a code to my house if he needs to get in. Like, we really have a great positive relationship, and I completely believe that that's because of my work allowed me to not go for the jugular, right? Doing the work on me allowed me to see him as a human and have empathy with him while still honoring that this relationship no longer served me in the way that I want a relationship to serve me.
0: Yeah, and you know what I I believe about people that have your type of attitude is that we know it's easier to be happy when you appreciate things about people that are positive and You know, you're looking at what's working, and somehow, despite the trauma and the pain and the infidelity and the lying and the deceit and all the feelings that go with that, you're at a place now where you've been able to move forward and forgive and use it to help others. Your kids are going to be much, much better for that. That takes a lot of emotional maturity, and I'm always talking to couples about that because Unfortunately, many people need and want to be vindicated and to be told yes. they're right and to be sided with. And really, emotional maturity means you take a situation and then do the best you can with it. Um, how did you forgive him? And then how did you forgive yourself? So forgiving him
1: started with, forgiving myself, um, Mm. which then ultimately, yeah, which ultimately led to my forgiving him. Um, You know, my forgiving myself was really about healing and acknowledging how much I allowed and turned a blind eye to. And as I started to dive deeper and deeper into healing all of this pain and healing myself, it was hard because I I would get so angry and so upset with myself at how could I not see this and how could I be so stupid and so naive. And I really had to honor that at the time that I did these things, I was doing the best I could with what I knew. And now that I know better, I'll do better. better. And, you know, what that led to was my ability to really see my ex-husband as a fellow human who's just struggling and his struggles were different, right? I would not, I would not, my MO is not cheating. That's not how I, you know, sort of sabotage and that's not my trauma, but that's his, that's how his shows up. And, you know, getting to that place that allowed me to see him, not as someone who was this nasty, you know, kind of buzzwords, narcissistic psychopath, sociopath person who, how could you, But seeing him as a person who's doing the best he can with what he knows and his trauma allowed me to have a lot of human empathy. And, again, you can have empathy with someone and you can honor who they are and still choose that that's not
0: a healthy relationship for you. Oh, absolutely. I 100% agree. And, you know, I tell our partners, you know, you have nothing to forgive yourself for, and they'll say, well, I wasn't the best wife or we didn't have the most sex or we didn't communicate very well. And, and, and I say, you know, those things are all important things to hold yourself accountable for how marriage could have been better, but they're not reasons for sex addiction in any way, shape or form. His addiction had nothing to do with how much sex you had or, you know, how clean you kept the house. And so even in asking you that, because I know you said that you went through a process to forgive yourself, I had to grimace because I was thinking, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to forgive themselves. And yet you explain that beautifully. And we all know that the gentler we are with ourselves, the gentler we'll be with other people and vice versa. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, making the distinction that, honestly, the affair, the the acting out, the cheating, whatever you want to label it, has absolutely nothing to do with you or who you were or how you showed up in your relationship. It has everything to do with your partner's trauma, your partner's inner work that needs to be addressed and done. You could have had all the sex in the world and kept the health perfect and, you know, did all these things, and it's still not going to prevent them from seeking out those acts of betrayal because that's, that's sort of their underlying mechanism to things. So, you know, when, I, when you get honest with yourself, which is a process I went through, like I said, my MO was not validation from random guys or, you know, that was not what I turned to in unhealthy coping ways. And so looking at it, like, well, what do you do? What are the things you do that are sort of unhealthy coping ways? And yeah, it sucks that it's not betrayal, you know, that you don't engage in that. But as humans, we all have things we do that are unhealthy coping mechanisms and not the best, right, that we need to work on. And doing that work is what helps stop going into that cycle and, and continuing those sort of self sabotage unhealthy coping ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Maladaptive coping mechanisms are a part of humankind. And when you know better, you should really try to do better. And that's yeah. definitely what you have done. And it sounds like that's what your ex has done for the two of you to be so amicable about the kids and parenting and all the important things in your life right now, correct?
1: Yeah. And, you know, we have three children um, that right now at the time of this call range from. 10 to 21, and, you know, they definitely experience trauma, and, you know, the 21-year-old has become really honest about the impact that these affairs and all of this has had on him, and so he's got his own work to do, Um, but they don't have any of that, you know, what we view in society as a normal or typical divorce, like, We have these conversations, and and it's great to see that they're not having to choose sides and that despite all of this, they can still have really healthy relationships with both of us.
0: Yes. Well, I wondered what you had said to the kids uh, as a couple, by yourself, if anything. So what do you tell parents that want to know how honest they should be with their children? That's a really powerful
1: question. Um, so I can share just my personal perspective, which is that if my children hadn't become involved, I would have handled it a different way. Unfortunately, because of the circumstances, the affair got brought to my front door. Um, the partner showed up, and, and so it, my children all learned um, that there was another woman. Or plural women, and so you know we kept it in age-appropriate ways. Um, at the time, my daughter would have been eight, and she would have explained it to you that dad did something with a woman that hurt mom. And um, and then my oldest, now who's 21, he's very very clear on what it was and how it was. But and I and if you caught my words earlier, I said he's got his own healing work to do because while his dad and I are willing to be held accountable for the impact at the end of the day, healing his own trauma around this is on him. He's accountable for that. And I'm willing to be there to support that and have any accountability that I need to have to help him in that. But It's, it's his burden, right? It's, it's his, his responsibility to engage in that trauma healing. And so I would say to parents, you know, be mindful that, your children really want to keep their innocence. This is not a this is an adult thing, not a child thing and you can explain this in ways and talk to your children in ways that is honest yet still really respectful of their childhood and of their other parent. you don't have to bash them or get them to take sides and really honor their process because they have their own trauma that's happening whether you work through it or you get divorced they still have things going on in their world they don't need to take your pain your trauma and and, and take that in on
0: them oh i absolutely agree and it sounds like you have really good boundaries and you know oftentimes Partners hear that they are codependent or worry more about the other person, but I love the fact that you, first of all, I don't believe that about partners anyway, but secondly, you epitomize how important it is to own your stuff, but also allow others to figure out theirs. And so, Heather, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show and talking about how you navigated through this um, situation. I have one more question for you, and it's really for our listening audience. You know, um, you've got so much wisdom. You really have a good sense of betrayal and addiction. I'm going to ask you, what do you believe your piece of advice would be to anybody who is brand new to sex addiction slash infidelity and all the trauma that brings. What would you tell him or her right now? Oh,
1: man, there's like 4,000 hours worth of response on that. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, besides besides the I'm sorry and, you know, I'm sorry that you're here and it hurts like hell and it sucks. And I know people used to say this all the time, and I would despise it, but you can and will get through this, and if you allow it, it can serve as the beginning of a beautiful new future. Um, And if I had to encapsulate all of my thoughts into one, you know, sort of bucket sentence, honestly, I think it would be, for the first time ever, allow yourself to put you first and honor your needs, your sadness, your broken dreams, your shattered dreams. Allow yourself to do what's needed to reconnect with yourself in a way that you've never done.
0: And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks for having uh, me. Again, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if people want to speak with you, it's www.mylovecounselor.com. And being a coach, they may be able to work with you um, across state lines. So thanks again for all your good advice. And thank you. I really appreciate your Facebook groups, Release and Reclaim, too. So make it a good one, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Carol. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So obviously you can see this kind of stuff doesn't have to devastate you. You can get through it. Um, with the right mindset, the right resources, and um, some support from the people that you need in your life. I'm Carol Jurgensen. She's a.k.a. Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And as Heather said, put yourself first, would you? We'll talk to you soon.